do the Bible, Hogwarts, disciples, and Dementors all have in common? This podcast. Welcome to The Gospel According to Harry Potter, a podcast for Potterheads, Jesus freaks, and everyone in between. My name is Ashley, and together we'll examine the entire Harry Potter series, chapter by chapter, through a biblical lens, looking for insights into Harry Potter from a Christian worldview and insights into real life from a wizarding worldview. So grab your favorite Harry Potter book, your go-to Bible translation, and maybe a mug of warm butterbeer and get ready to explore the wizarding world like never before. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Ashley, the muggle behind the mic, and I'm excited to keep going through Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone with you. Today we're looking at chapter seven, but before we get started, in case any of you are new to the podcast and you're just kind of jumping in here with episode seven, uh, you need to know that this is a fully biblical recap of the chapter. And so when you hear the word Lumos, it means that I'm shining a light on a biblical element that I see in the story. I also want you to know that I'm talking about Christianity from a mature biblical worldview, and so I encourage you to dig deeper on your own, do some Bible study. I'll include scriptural references that I make in the show notes so that you can go back and look at those. And just as a point of interest, the majority of Bible verses that I share here on the podcast are in the New Living Translation, or NLT. And the reason I do that is because I find that that one is more simple and easier to process by ear. So I figure a lot of people are listening, you know, while you're driving or while you're jogging or running the vacuum cleaner or whatever. So I wanted to make sure to use a Bible translation that's simple and easy to understand. For the record, my personal favorite Bible translation is actually the New English translation, the Net Bible. Um, I love that one because it's got a ton of explanations and footnotes and, I mean, just a lot of meat for really deep Bible study. But again, for the sake of ease of listening, I am usually using NLT here on the show. As always, if you have any questions about anything I talk about today, please feel free to DM me on Instagram at Gospel According to Harry Potter. You can also email me at Gospel According to Harry Potter at gmail.com, and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. And then if you like what you hear, please leave a friendly review and share the podcast with your friends. This week, we are diving into Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling, Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. When we last left Harry, he was about to enter Hogwarts for the very first time. He and the other first years are greeted by a, quote, black-haired witch in emerald green robes, end quote, who turns out to be Professor McGonagall, who we met way back in Chapter 1 on the Dursleys' front doorstep. Y'all know I love Professor McGonagall. She's one of my absolute favorite characters, so I'm really happy for Harry to finally meet her. She leads the first-year students into a little room to await the sorting ceremony. She explains that they'll be sorted into four different houses, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Slytherin, and Hufflepuff, and that these houses will be sort of like their families while they're at Hogwarts. She says they'll be sorted in front of the rest of the school, and Harry gets super nervous, and I can't say that I blame him. I would too. He asks Ron how they're going to be sorted, and Ron answers that his brother Fred told him there's some sort of test they have to take that hurts a lot, but that he thinks Fred was probably joking. This news terrifies Harry, who wonders how in the world he's supposed to pass a test when he didn't even know he was a wizard until recently. 
Harry's nervous thoughts are interrupted when about 20 ghosts float through the wall, startling all the first years. A couple of the ghosts stop and greet the new students before Professor McGonagall comes back and shoes them out of the room. Lumos. Ghosts. Okay, to be honest, I've never really done a Bible study about the concept of ghosts before, so I am kind of learning as I go here and discussing this with you guys. So off the top of my head, the first mention of ghosts that I could remember from scripture is from 1 Samuel chapter 28. And it's this really weird story about King Saul, who had been trying to get rid of all the mediums or all the people who could speak to spirits of the dead by killing them. But then when Saul sees this army that he's about to face, he gets scared and he wants to speak to the prophet Samuel who had already died. So Saul visits a woman referred to in scripture as the Witch of Endor, who's known to be able to speak to the dead, and he asks her to conjure up Samuel's ghost. So the woman is scared that Saul's trying to trick her to get her killed, but he promises he won't, and so she calls up Samuel's ghost and speaks to him on Saul's behalf. This supposed ghost of Samuel actually rebukes Saul for disturbing him by bringing him up, and he tells Saul that tomorrow he will die and join him in the land of the dead. My personal takeaway from this story was always the fact that Samuel's ghost rebukes Saul for conjuring him up in the first place. And as a prophet or a spokesperson for God, Samuel's words carry a lot of weight. So to me, logically, if the prophet Samuel is telling Saul that he should not have done this, then it would make sense to assume that we also are not supposed to be talking to spirits of the dead. Another way that I've seen this story interpreted is that the spirit that Saul speaks to may not be Samuel at all, but rather a demon impersonating him. Either way, God gives his people a clear answer about whether or not we should be conjuring up spirits in Leviticus 19.31, which says, Do not defile yourselves by turning to mediums or to those who consult the spirits of the dead. I am the Lord your God. God's message here is that we don't need to seek advice from spirits of the dead or from any other spirits or demons, but rather we should turn directly to him, our God, for guidance. Another mention of ghosts that I remembered in the Bible comes from the New Testament. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, the disciples of Jesus are out in a boat on a windy night, and suddenly they see Jesus walking toward them on the water. Now, they didn't immediately recognize that it was Jesus, but rather, Matthew says they thought it was a ghost and they were terrified. And then again, in Luke's gospel, when the resurrected Jesus appears in the midst of the disciples, once again, they panic and think he's a ghost. So this tells us that there was a cultural context or belief in ghosts in the time of Jesus, because this was the first place the frightened disciples' minds went when they saw these seemingly impossible feats of someone walking on water or someone appearing in their midst when they were in a locked room. In an article by Christian author Jessica Brody, she explains that the New Testament writers used at least two different words that have been translated into the English word ghost. She says that the Greek word used in Matthew's story of Jesus walking on water is phantasma, which means illusion, phantom, specter, or ghost. In Luke's gospel, when he recounts the resurrected Jesus appearing to the disciples, Luke uses the word pneuma, which means wind, breath, or immaterial substance. Either way, it seems like the disciples of Jesus were aware of some spiritual concept that sounds a lot like what we would call ghosts in our modern understanding. And of course, we can't have a biblical discussion about ghosts without talking about the capital G himself, the Holy Ghost. 
Many translations actually use the phrase Holy Spirit rather than ghost, but in either case, we're talking about one-third of the triune God. Along with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is fully God but serves the unique function of guiding, teaching, and counseling believers in Christ. The Bible teaches that once we've received salvation by believing in Jesus and acknowledging his death and resurrection— Christians receive the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in us and remains with us to give us wisdom and revelation. And he also prays on our behalf when we don't know what to pray, which is something I find incredibly comforting. Because I know I've had a lot of times when I'm going through something really tough and I want to pray, but I don't even really have the words. And so to know that the Holy Spirit of God living in me is actually actively praying for me in those moments is just the most comforting thing in the world. Whatever your personal beliefs are about ghosts and whether they exist or not, it's clear that the Bible does not make room for followers of Jesus to seek out ghosts or any other spirits in real life. But when it comes to the fictional world of Harry Potter, we can safely enjoy the often silly characterization of the Hogwarts ghosts as just another element of the fantastical wizarding world. Knox. As Harry and the rest of the first years enter the Great Hall, Harry takes in four long house tables laden with golden plates and goblets, as well as the breathtaking ceiling, which Hermione Granger explains is bewitched to mirror the sky outside. Professor McGonagall places an old, tattered wizard's hat on a little stool in front of the student body, and Harry wonders if maybe they'll ask him to pull a rabbit out of it. Before long, the hat begins to sing from a tear near the brim. The hat sings a poem that explains that each of the four Hogwarts houses is established on certain character traits. All you have to do is put on the hat and let him take a peek inside your head, and then he'll decide which house you're best suited for. As the ceremony goes on, we see students being sorted into all of the different houses. Draco Malfoy goes to Slytherin, which is where he had said he hoped to be placed when they spoke on the train. Finally, it's Harry's turn and the whole room goes quiet because, of course, they've all heard of the famous Harry Potter. Harry nervously places the hat on his head, and he can hear the hat's little voice in his ear, telling him he's full of bravery, talent, and, quote, a thirst to prove himself, end quote. Harry keeps thinking, not Slytherin, over and over, and the hat tells him that Slytherin could actually be a good house for him. However, the hat gives in to Harry's wishes and yells out loud, Gryffindor! Lumos. Not Slytherin. To me, this little conversation between Harry and the Sorting Hat is an important element to the story because it gives weight to the value of Harry's choices. And one of the things I love most about God is that he's given us all free will, that he's not going to force us to follow him or even to believe in him, although that is what he desires for everyone. There's tons of beautiful Bible verses that I could talk about here, but I'm going to go with Psalm 1611, which says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Now, this verse, I I realize, doesn't say anything specifically about our free will, but it makes me think of free will because it's saying that God shows us the way of life. It means there's also a way of death, and it's not a secret which way is which. And then he's granting us the, the ability to have joy in his presence and pleasure of living with him forever. But it doesn't say that he forces us to go that way. It's always a choice. Just like Harry, we do have a say in which path we take. But thanks be to God, we can know which way is the right one. And which way is that, you might ask? Well, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Boom, there's your answer. Jesus is the way, the only one who offers us free entry into eternal life. If you want to know more about that, check out episode three, where I talked more about this amazing invitation. And remember that it's just that. It's an invitation. It's not a coercion. Just like the sorting hat allowed Harry to dictate his own path, God will allow us to do the same. But I promise you, you don't want Slytherin, or even Gryffindor for that matter. The only way is Jesus. Knox. When Harry joins the Gryffindor table, he's greeted by Ron's brothers as well as nearly headless Nick, the mascot ghost of Gryffindor. Nick shows off his almost decapitated head, getting a good reaction from all the first years. He encourages Harry to try to help Gryffindor win the House Cup, which they haven't won in a while. Harry enjoys dinner while getting to know the other Gryffindor students, but he's briefly interrupted when he looks up at the staff table, where the twitchy teacher he met back at the Leaky Cauldron, Professor Quirrell, is talking to a black-haired teacher Harry doesn't know. Suddenly, a pain sears across Harry's lightning scar, but it doesn't last long. Harry asks who the black-haired teacher is, and Percy explains that he's Professor Snape, the potions teacher, but that it's common knowledge that he would rather teach defense against the dark arts. Finally, Dumbledore gets up and makes some announcements, including a dire statement that, quote, This year, the third floor corridor on the right-hand side is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to die a very painful death, end quote. Now, Harry thinks this is a joke, but no one else laughs, and Percy says that Dumbledore's serious. Lumos. Out of bounds to those who do not wish to die a very painful death. One thing I've heard a lot over the years about why people avoid Christianity is that they don't want to follow a ton of rules. And I have good news about that, and I'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to address why God gives us rules in the first place. If you ever get brave or bored enough to read through all the laws recorded in the book of Leviticus, you might be overwhelmed by just how many and how detailed they are. At first glance, it seems like, you know, a bit much. But I started noticing as I read them that, for the most part, they're rules that are meant to keep the Israelites safe from harm and sickness and disease. So you have to remember that in those days, people didn't yet have an understanding of how diseases spread, or how we can track food poisoning, or about a lot of the personal hygiene requirements that are common knowledge today. So in his love for his people, God gave these laws to help fence out these kind of dangers. And he also established laws that are meant to uphold justice when people do wrong to each other and to protect the spiritual and moral health of God's people. So God didn't give all these rules just to be mean, but like any good father, he created boundaries for the benefit of his kids. But people are by nature sinful and unable to bear the weight of so many laws. So here's the good news. Jesus' death actually fulfilled all the requirements of the original covenant law between God and people. This is why you don't see Christians sacrificing lambs or things like that. We're now under a new covenant in which there are only two rules. You ready? Here they are. In 1 John 3.23, it says, And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Boom. That's it. Two rules. Thanks to Jesus' obedience in life and on the cross, we now only have two commandments, to believe in him and to love people. And of course, if you're at Hogwarts, avoid the third floor corridor on the right-hand side. Knox. After singing the school song in all different tunes, which is a bit of silliness that the first book has that kind of die out as the series ages, and it makes me a little bit sad, 
Percy leads the Gryffindor students up to their dormitory in Gryffindor Tower. Harry quickly drifts off to sleep, falling into a nightmare involving Professor Quirrell's turban and the potions teacher, Snape. But he doesn't remember it by morning. Okay, so we have reached the end of Chapter 7, but before you go, I have a little surprise for you. Recently on Instagram, I conducted a little poll in my stories about which of the Hogwarts houses you would sort each of Jesus' 12 disciples into. So you can check those out in the Sorting Hat highlight on my page. Three of the disciples actually were hat stalls, so we had to have a revote. But just for fun, I invited a special guest, actually my first guest ever, to act as the official Sorting Hat of the Gospel According to Harry Potter. So check it out. Lumos. I am really excited to be hosting my very first guest here on the Gospel According to Harry Potter. So everybody, I want to welcome Pastor Wade Davis. He is my pastor and a very dear friend. So Pastor Wade, welcome to the Gospel According to Harry Potter. Well, I'm very honored to be your first guest, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. Well, I appreciate it. Um, So first of all, I would love for you to tell a little bit about yourself for the listeners. Well, sure. I'm I pastor Brookside Church, and I've uh, been doing that. The church is 13 and a half years old, or something like that, uh, and just having a good time. So, we recently got a building. It's been a little over a year, but uh, we're we're moving along, having a good time, doing what God called me to do. Yes, Amen. And I can agree. Uh, we are having a good time. <laughs> I love being a member of that church. Uh, it's a good place to be. And uh, just so everybody knows, Pastor Wade is truly the first and only pastor whose teaching has really changed the way that I live my daily life. So good, strong, biblical teaching. Um, so I really trust your insight, uh, trust what you teach, trust where your heart is. And so I'm excited to to have you join the conversation here about Harry Potter but also about the 12 disciples of Jesus. So uh, how much do you know about Harry Potter, if anything? You know, I, I know so little. It, uh, all I know is from being at Universal and seeing that really cool section. And it seems like, uh, you know, there's a few movies out. I have not had the pleasure of doing that. I'm sort of one of those people that, like, I like Star Wars, but I'll run into people mm-hmm. who are like, I've never seen Star Wars. And That's me. Sort of <laughs> I have to explain it to him and say, well, there's good guys and bad guys. Don't worry about all the lore. You have the earth tones. Those are the good guys. The sharp colors, the black, the white, the reds, those are the bad guys. Just Mm -hmm. keep it that basic. Yeah. And that's how I look at Harry Potter, too. If anyone's hackles kind of go up that that I enjoy Harry Potter, I say the same thing. It's a a story of good versus evil, just like any story, you know? So, well, good. So... I actually chose you on purpose to act as our sorting hat for the disciples, knowing that you are not a Harry Potter fan and that you haven't read the books. And there's a reason for it. And that is because in the book, the sorting hat is um, making these decisions solely based on these character traits that he has determined for each of the four houses. And so just for the listener's sake, uh, all I gave you to go by is the original sorting hat poem from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So do you know anything else about the four houses at Hogwarts? No, just I just kind of went through the poem and just picked out some of the key characteristics uh, in each one of those. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing these correctly, but but uh, that's where I got all my criteria from. 
So. Okay, perfect. And that's exactly what I was hoping for so that you would be just totally looking at character traits alone. The rest of us Potterheads over here have um, all sorts of backstory, you know, that can kind of change and and weigh on the way we look at the four houses. So um, and then when it comes to the 12 disciples, I know that obviously you are extremely well versed in scripture. Uh, did you feel like you were able to get everything you needed to know about the disciples from the Bible or did you have to look elsewhere to add on? No, there's a, there's only so much said about the disciples and it's certain ones. It's Peter and John, uh, you know, just a few of the disciples, Matthew, there's a little bit stated about each of them, but the rest, uh, I think come from church history, which I didn't delve into all that much, but, uh, you know, I'm a connoisseur of the chosen which has gone at great lengths to look through church history and put together round tables and some of the things that are understood maybe through other writings like Josephus and different people. So I kind of trust their research, uh, which is what I have to go on. And, you know, they, they've brought them into character uh, so we can actually observe them. So based kind of on what I see there, I think it's pretty accurate. Okay, awesome. So that's me too. I love The Chosen. And I actually did an Instagram poll um, using the character images from The Chosen to put it out there for Instagram followers to see how they would sort the disciples into the Hogwarts houses. And I did the same thing. I had to look at really what I've seen in The Chosen, coupled with what I know from scripture. Uh, so so same, we're, we're coming from the same place. So let's get into it, shall we? Sure. All right. So I'm going to actually start with Judas. <laughs> I think he's kind of, he's the one that everybody's probably like, you know, I know where I would put him immediately, but I think it's interesting to really stop and think about who he was in the entire story leading up to the betrayal of Jesus. Cause he had, he has a lot of backstory too. Uh, so off the top of my head, I sorted Judas into Ravenclaw. And I was looking at the fact that he handled finances, so he would be uh, smart. He, um, the the chosen, portrays him as as a savvy businessman, you know. So that's where I sorted him. Uh, the Instagram poll, hands down, put him into Slytherin, which didn't surprise me. And so, as our official sorting hat, where do you place Judas? He is the one I put in uh, Slytherin. Did you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I put him in that category. And the key word for me was. Uh, any means to achieve and cunning. Um, that's mm -hmm. where I, I put him. In fact, he's the only one that I put there. Uh, all of the rest of them I have in the other three, but the mm -hmm. only one I put there was Judas Iscariot. Uh, all right. All right. So the sorting hat has spoken. Judas is in Slytherin. Okay. So next up is Philip. Uh, my gut reaction to Philip was Hufflepuff. And I know, Pastor Wade, you have probably heard me say over and over again that I'm a Hufflepuff. I'm a Hufflepuff. So uh, I feel sort of a, a camaraderie with Philip when I watch the show. So I think that's where I was coming from. Um, on the Instagram poll, though, he was actually what is known as a hat stall. So in the Harry Potter lore, when the hat has trouble figuring out where to put you, it's called a hat stall. So he initially in the first poll had a tie between Gryffindor or Ravenclaw. So I reposted Philip uh, to break that tie. And the voters on Instagram in, uh, eventually went with Gryffindor. So where would you place Philip? I put him in Ravenclaw. Uh, because I'm I'm looking at the character Yoshi's the guy that's been playing him, 
for the first three seasons in The Chosen. And what I see is a guy who um, is learning. That was the key word, learning mm -hmm. and wit. It seemed like he was ready to lead. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of where I put him for that reason. No, that's good. All right. So Philip goes to Ravenclaw. Next up is Andrew. I put Andrew into Gryffindor, uh, mostly because I felt like he was brave enough to kind of be the first guy to say, hey, I think I found the Messiah, which when I put myself in his shoes, I'm like, that's kind of a, a scary position to be in, right? When you're the first one in your community trying to share news like that. So I said Gryffindor, the Instagram poll voters put him in Hufflepuff. And so you, as our official sorting hat, which house do you put Andrew in? That That's where I put Andrew is in the Hufflepuff. I put him in that area. Uh, loyal, just. You, you see all those characteristics. His loyalty to John the Baptist, his loyalty to family. Uh, mm -hmm. That's That was the key word for me was loyal. Oh, good. I love that. See, I knew I would enjoy hearing from you because I didn't even <laughs> think about that side of him, but that's good. All right. So Andrew goes to Hufflepuff. Next up, we have Simon the Zealot. Uh, I love all of us in the chosen fandom refer to him as Simon Z. Um, and so I actually yeah. put Simon into Slytherin. And the reason was because of that using any means to achieve their ends. And, you know, we've seen a lot of character growth in him uh, through season three of the chosen, but initially, you know, he was ready to, to do the dirty work that, that needed to get done. So I said Slytherin, uh, the Instagram polls, however, put him in Gryffindor. So where do you put Simon Z? I put him in Gryffindor also. And I would agree with you that he started off. Um, mm -hmm. what, what's the name of that? Slytherin? Slytherin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I would agree that that's where he he perhaps started. But you see a transformation in him due to his exposure to Jesus. And so I'm seeing him as obviously brave. Uh, and that's sort of the word daring, brave. Mm -hmm. So I had him I had him in the same category as the Instagram post. Awesome. Oh, you guys are lining door. up a lot. <laughs> well, uh, okay. <laughs> That's good. All right. Simon Z goes to Gryffindor. Next up is Thaddeus. Uh, I felt like out of all of the disciples, I, I kind of felt like I knew the least about Thaddeus. So I just went with my gut and said Gryffindor. The Instagrammers said Ravenclaw. So where did you land with Thaddeus? Well, I had Thaddeus in the uh, Hufflepuff. Um, oh. and the reason is he's, he's patient. He's very loyal. He, he, you can tell, uh, like we look at redemptive gifts from the Bible. He's that servant redemptive. He's, he doesn't necessarily want to make a name for himself. And he, even in the chosen, his character is very subdued. He's one of the first that in, is introduced as a disciple. He and little James mm -hmm. and, and you just really don't know a whole lot about him. There hasn't been a lot of dialogue. There's a little bit here and there, but he's uh, seems to be very soft spoken. And mm -hmm. so I, I just took him as a guy who's uh, he just concerned with serving and being loyal. So, yeah. All right. I love that. So Thaddeus joins the Hufflepuff table. Next up, we have Nathaniel. Uh, I had said Ravenclaw um, because of the, the well-known conversation with Jesus about, you know, can anything good come from there. And, you know, I just feel like that that's sort of a Ravenclaw quip to make uh, and a Ravenclaw way to look at things. Um, he was another hat stall on Instagram. So initially, 
The voters tied him in Slytherin or Ravenclaw. But when he came up for the second round of voting, they did settle him also in Ravenclaw. So where did you put Nathaniel? I have Nathaniel in Ravenclaw because of the way the way the chosen portrayed him as an architect. Mm-hmm. So I see him as a guy who's got to be very skilled with mechanics. And so there's a there's a learnedness about him. He's ready. Um, that was the key word, uh, ready mind. So mm. that's where I put him, just, just because of that skill set that they portrayed him with. Nice. So I think Nathaniel's the first one that we all three agreed on. Nathaniel goes to Ravenclaw. All right. Next up is Little James. I immediately said Hufflepuff for Little James just because he has, you know, that big heart, um, kind of under the radar a little bit, but willing to serve uh, even when he might be feeling a little overlooked. Um, the voters on Instagram also put Little James in Hufflepuff. And where did you place him? I placed him there as well. And I, I like that phrase under the radar. Now, mm-hmm. Little James in The Chosen has a lot more dialogue than uh, Thaddeus. Mm-hmm. But they both come in kind of together. They're they're almost tandem servers, you know, under the radar. Yeah. It's a perfect description. So, yeah, he's actually turning out to be one of my favorite characters on The Chosen. I love little James. I agree. I agree. He's awesome. All right. Next up is Thomas. I initially put him into Ravenclaw. And now he was the only one that was a three-way hat stall. So in the initial voting round, Uh, Thomas was equally tied for Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, and Ravenclaw. So when I put him back up for another round of voting to break those three, the voters went with Ravenclaw. So where did you put Thomas? I put him in Ravenclaw as well. The way he's depicted, he's a businessman. He he sets up the the wedding feast and he, he organizes all of that. So there's a, uh, there's gotta be a business savvy about him. Obviously, Mm -hmm very smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, all we know about Thomas is that big doubt after his resurrection. You know, I'll believe when I see the holes in his hands, you know, that that sort of thing. So there's a little bit about him there. But, um, you know, basically, again, going by the portrayal that I see in The Chosen, I would have put him in Ravenclaw. Yeah. And I think even that doubt is what led me to put him in Ravenclaw, because that showed me this analytical mind you know, I'm I believe I have faith, but I also, you know, I want the details. I want to see if the numbers add up. So awesome. So we all agreed on Thomas. He went to Ravenclaw. Uh, next up is Big James. I placed him in Gryffindor. The voters on Instagram placed him in Gryffindor. And where did you place Big James? That's exactly where I placed him. Good, good. I feel like that was kind of an obvious choice for him. Yeah, he's the big brother. Mm-hmm. Of the whole, of the whole gang, even though you've got some, you know, Peter and he's kind of a leader and all of that. You've got Big James, who's a little bit daring, like trying to protect the group and all that stuff. So. Yeah, awesome. I love him too. All right, next up we have Matthew. So I went with Hufflepuff for Matthew, and I think that has more to do with the Chosen than with the actual Bible, because he just his character on the Chosen is so sweet to me. So I put him in Hufflepuff um, because he is so shy. He's a little bit awkward. He's, um, you know, he's another one who he's just kind of there to do his thing. He's not in it for all the glory and whatever. Um, The voters on Instagram, however, placed Matthew into Ravenclaw. And so where do you put Matthew? I have him in Ravenclaw as well. And it's because of that skill set. 
And again, I love how he's been portrayed in The Chosen where he's he's isolated. He he is hated by the Jews because he's a publican mm -hmm. and he's hated by the Romans because he's a Jew. So mm -hmm. he's mm -hmm. very isolated. And of course, they gave him Asperger's. And here he is being very good with numbers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, very smart. He's obviously very, very smart, but he's changing. So he has that learning part of him as well so yeah and for the record not that it matters in the sorting ceremony but his gospel is my favorite one <laughs> i love the yeah. gospel of matthew that's my go-to all right we have john next the one jesus loved uh i put john in hufflepuff and the voters on instagram also put him in hufflepuff so where do you place john uh, that that is exactly where i have him mm -hmm. it, it's the true patient loyal you know, you can just see him nestled up to Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's that guy. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we're in agreement on quite a few of these now. And then mm -hmm. last but not least, I saved uh, the big leader of the disciples, Simon Peter. Um, I put Peter in Gryffindor almost immediately, but I was really surprised by the Instagram poll, uh, which actually sorted him into Slytherin. So I'm curious, where do you place Simon Peter? I have him in Gryffindor. I think he's brave, he's daring, but there's he, he's also compliant. He's not going to try to go outside of the boundaries, although he is the guy that cut off the ear of Malchus when they came mm -hmm. to arrest Jesus. So, um, you know, they, they have a point, <laughs> but I, I think Gryffindor is it's just where I put it based on what I was seeing is the description of Gryffindor. Yeah. So see, that's another reason why I wanted someone who has not read Harry Potter, because I love that you are saying how the fact that he stays within the boundaries made him a Gryffindor to you. Oh, my goodness, Pastor Wade. Nobody leaves the boundaries more than the Gryffindors in the book series. They are those Gryffindors are always out of bounds. <laughs> are they? OK, they are. But that but to my point, like you were able to just look at the Sorting Hats poem and just look at the character of Simon Peter and say, you know, this is what would make sense. So I love that. All right. Well, we officially have sorted our 12 disciples. I'm going to put together uh, some some Instagram stories to share your final uh your final word as the official sorting hat. So thank you so much, Pastor Wade. I really appreciate you taking the time to to be here with me. Well, thank you. This was fun. This was fun. And I love what you're doing. I love the, the podcast. I think it's very creative. And that's what we need in this day and age is creativity. Well, thank you. It's all glory to God. I, I've wanted to do it for years. So the moment the Holy Spirit said go, I said, okay, <laughs> let's awesome. go. I'm so, proud of you. Well, thank you. I'm loving it. Knox. Well, guys, that wraps it up for episode seven. I am having a great time. I got to say, we are now in February of 2024, and January was terrible. I mean, it was really hard. So this podcast has been a little bright spot for me. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. I really hope that you guys are also uh, getting some light from it because that's my point. That's the purpose. So I look forward to next time where we'll talk about chapter eight of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. But until then, stay close to Jesus and don't let the muggles get you down. <laughs>